I need someone who has the NIV. Who has the who reading from the NIV? Okay. Haley? Okay. So you will uh, I'll have you read here in a second. But uh, I want to start off with the big question. Okay, actually I want to start I want to say it I want to say this statement and then um, explain it a little bit and then ask a question. Statement is this that God has an intrinsic identity. Okay? God has an intrinsic identity. God is who he is whether we know it or not. So think about think about the um, when you there was a time in which you didn't know much about God. You, you you couldn't you you wouldn't say you knew. Hey, there's our friend the wasp. Yep. He's back. Or his brother, one of the two. This is great. Somebody kill it. Come on, come on. Taylor, Taylor. Scare for your life. All right. Hey. Hey. The sword of the Lord. Okay. You know, it's not the first time you've beat somebody up with the Bible. <laughs> be honest. That's true. Okay, so <clears throat> now that the wasp is dead, we hope, right? Let's just assume he's dead. That's good. Uh, so God has an intrinsic identity. Okay, God, God, God was who He was, or was is who He is. Before you knew him, before you knew of him, before you even knew to question him, before you before you formed an opinion about him, he had an identity that, that was, that is, and it's always been. So, in the same way that that you have an identity, you have an intrinsic identity, and 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 people can either accept all of you or you can't just say, well, you know what, I, I like the fact that you are athletic, but I don't really like the fact that you're quiet. So I'm gonna just I'm just gonna like the part of you that's athletic, and I'm not gonna like the part of you that's that's quiet and introverted. You, know, you can't do that. You either accept accept the whole person, or you don't accept them at all. <coughs> so think about this with God. Do you do you like the do you accept God because of the things that you like about Him? And then when the when things come up that you don't quite understand or agree with. Do you have a tendency to go? Uh, I don't. I don't know if I like that. Um, so here's a question: Is who's God in our world when we determine who God is and who He isn't? So who's God when when we start when we start to say, well, no, God wouldn't do that. God doesn't do that. Um, this this is who I this is who He is, and and I don't really. 
I don't like this part of him, and so I choose not to, not to accept him. And I think the answer is we are. Like, we become God when we start to define who God is. And so, one of the reasons why um, I think it's important to have something that stands outside of us, that, that judges us, that, that we come to and we submit to, um, is, is because th- this, this, we believe, is God himself revealing himself. And so we have to take God on his terms. And we have to be willing to say, okay, God, um, I'm going to get to know you. And yeah, I don't know you fully. I, I, don't, I never will. Um, but as I read your word and as I get to know you, I'm going, I'm going to um, accept you for who you are. Accept you for who you've revealed yourself to us to be. Um, because if we were living in a Muslim culture, the idea of a vengeful God and a wrathful God and a uh, judging God, that's like, all right, cool. But this gracious, merciful, forgiving God that you talk about, uh, I, don't want any, I don't want any part of that. So think about that. Different culture accepts different parts of God that we, that we kind of get nervous about. So in our text today, there are some verses that are honestly tough and, and challenging. They, sh- they show a side of God that we don't tend to want to talk about. And tend to want to um, accept, and so uh, whenever that happens, uh, you have a choice. You have an opportunity to say, "Okay, am I gonna am I gonna take am I gonna take God on His terms, or am I gonna try to play God and pick and choose what I want to believe about God?" So that's our that's a little bit of an introduction to our text today. If you haven't read First Thessalonians. Um, chapter one, or sorry, Second Thess- Thessalonians one. We're gonna we're gonna do that now. Last week we went um, just through the first four verses, um, but go ahead. Oh, he's back, and he missed this wasp thing. Yay! Now he's mad. Thank you, Taylor. All right. All right. He's gone. He's dead. Uh, He's been defeated. Bound up his works and tossed him out the door. All right. Hey, read. Go ahead and start at verse 3, actually. Read 3 through 5. Always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Okay. So last week we talked about three through four and this idea that the, uh, the, the church in Thessalonica, actually Paul got to witness an answer to his prayer that he prayed in 1 Thessalonians about them growing in faith and growing in love for one another. 
And he says, I see that that's happening. Like, like you're growing in faith and, and your love for one another is increasing. And all this is happening in the midst of more persecution and affliction. And so he says, you're, you're persevering, you're enduring, and, and you're, you're, you're faithful and you're loving more pe- people better than ever. And he says, all of that, all of these things is, is evidence of God's work in your life. Evidence of, you know, that, that you are counted worthy of God's kingdom. And so it's kind of an interesting idea that Paul's saying is, it's like what, what he's pointing out is, is that like what, what's happening in you is proof of that God started something and God is doing something. And he uses this term, um, God's judgment is right, or, or in ESV it's right, righteous judgment. Like God's, God's perspective, his, 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 his view of this is right. He makes a right call by saying, you guys are worthy of the kingdom. You guys are doing something that, um, that you could never do on your own. And it's evidence of God's kingdom at work in you. Um, so the, the, the church in Thessalonica, um, you could interpret persecution in one of two ways. You could interpret it as punishment for doing something wrong, which I think at some level they might have been asking that question, okay, w- what did we do? Like, are we being punished? Like, what's happening? Because it seems like the more we love Jesus and our, our, our allegiances to Him, the more affliction and persecution comes. So what is it we're doing wrong? What... And, and God is here saying, um, that's not the case. That's not what is happening. And Paul is affirming this. Like, like all this is evidence that, that, the, that you're in the right place. Um, and it's not, it's not because you're being punished. It's simply because you're being godly. And you're standing in contrast to, to a world that isn't. So Paul increases their, their in, increasing faith and love and perseverance as, as blessing. God, as a sign of God's blessing on them, not a sign of their, um, not a sign of judgment. And so, this is an interesting line. This is, I think, applicable in lots of different issues, in different situations. But God has judged rightly this situation, and they haven't done anything wrong. And the way in which they're responding is a sign that they are indeed His people, and that a change has taken place, and that they're responding um, to suffering with godliness. Okay. So think about that. Like, the, the world is attacking them. There's persecution. There's affliction. There's, there's these things going on. And their response is increased love and increased faith and increased endurance and perseverance. It is an unnatural response to a very, a very uh, um, difficult situation. It's unnatural. It's, 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 not, um, it's not human. That's not what we do. We don't respond naturally in that way. And, and it's a sign of, of something taking place. It kind of reminds me of when I was, I was 19 years old, no, 20 years old, um, and I remember sitting in the McDonald's, told some, I've told maybe a few of you this, or maybe some, several of you this, sitting in the McDonald's in Leavenworth, Kansas, across from my youth pastor, and I was wanting to start helping out in the youth ministry more, and he told me, uh, tell me about your girlfriend. And I was like, oh, no. Um, because she wasn't a believer and she wasn't she wasn't walking with the Lord and, and honestly our relationship wasn't healthy. You know, I was growing, but that part of my life wasn't. And and so he's like, Yeah, you know, it's not a really good example to our students. And and so I'd love for you to help out. We just we just we just can't have that as an example in, in one of our leaders. 
And so he never told me, you have to break up with her. I just knew. I, I, I drove home knowing I've got to break up with this, this girl. And it's not something I wanted to do. I just knew this is something God wanted me to do. And I remember doing it. And I, it was like an out-of-body experience because it wasn't something I wanted. But it's something I knew God wanted. And so therefore, I was going to do it. And that's, it was that and amongst other changes that were happening in my life, I would literally wake up one morning, every, almost every morning, and go, who am I? Like, I would never do it. I would never read my Bible. I would never lead a, you know, ninth grade boys D group. That was never something that I wanted to do, you know, at, at age 20. Um, but it was things, it, I found myself doing these things, and I, and I could look back and go, wow, God, that was you changing me. And so that's what Paul is pointing out to these people. Like, see this? This is evidence of God's work in your life. Read uh, 6 through 7. God is just. You will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And give relief to you who are troubled. And to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. In blazing fire with his powerful angels. Okay. Bless you. So, um, he, he describes God's righteous judgment, and he says it's, there's two sides to it. And, and both are to bring comfort to those being afflicted. He says, um, it's part paying back affliction to those who are afflicting suffering. And so God's going to pay that back. He's going to um, punish that. He's going to deal with that. God is a just God. His righteous judgment will take place. But he's also righteous and, judge, and, and just, and he says, I will give relief, or NLT says, rest um, to those who are being afflicted. So it's both and, and both were, both were um, to bring comfort and, and hope to, to those being afflicted. And he says, when will this take place? He says, when Jesus, who is Lord, by the way, when he returns. And notice how he describes his return. Okay? He could have just said, fire and angels but he says, no, what does he say? Um, blazing fire, powerful angels, right? He's, he's using these, these emotive, this emotive language to, to elicit this response, I believe. Um, he, he doesn't just want them to know that God is going to deal with it and take care of them. He wants them to feel it as well. And, and so Paul's using, I believe, strong language to help communicate a very powerful idea, um, and he talks about this word, this word um, revealed. In, in 1 Thessalonians 4, he talks about the coming of the Lord, and he uses a word, it's a common word used in this situation. Anytime that talk, it talks about the Lord coming back, it's this word um, parousia, which means presence or the coming or arrival, kind of like Jesus arrives. But the word that Paul uses in, in this verse, verse 7, is a word apocalypsis, which is, is this more idea of, um, something that's laying bare, something that's making, uh, uh, making naked or disclosing truth, or something that's that that has been it's been kind of veiled and now is revealed. It's been somewhat hidden, now it's made known, and it's this idea that Jesus is Lord, that He's King, that He's in charge, He's ruler of the universe, and that's always been true, but not all of creation acknowledges that, and He's saying there will be a day. Just, just trust in this, um, Christians in Thessalonica. There will be a day 
when Jesus will be revealed for who He is. And all things will bow down. All kingdoms will diminish compared to His kingdom. His kingdom comes to rule and reign over any, over and any other, other kingdom and other, other authority. And He will be in charge. And it will be right. Um, so, uh, it's a powerful idea, powerful ver- verse. He, go- he goes on and describes a little more. Read 8 and 9. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. Okay. So, again, strong language. And and you have to see um, this. This doesn't bring comfort to us. Why? Maybe it does. I mean, but but if it does, you have to you have to understand the implications. You have to. It takes you a few layers or steps to get to the point where you go, yeah, that's 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 comforting. But if you're them, and if you're experiencing injustice on a daily basis, and and persecution and affliction and suffering and you're seeing your family and people you love being treated in certain ways it's like you don't want punish you don't want people to be punished just to be punished you want you want justice and and so Paul is describing this and he continues on and he's settling this this debate this issue this question are we being punished for doing something wrong and um, notice how Paul describes those who are afflicting this persecution, the, the, the kind of people that he's describing. He's not describing them as evil, wicked people. It's not, what he, not the words he chooses to use. He chooses to use people that don't know God because they choose not to obey the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so Paul does this twice, back to back here. He, 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 says, he says two things, and the second thing clarifies the first thing. The second clause clarifies the, second, the first clause. So... Um, it's not. It's the the people who don't know God are the people who choose to disobey the gospel, to ignore the gospel, to reject um, the gospel. It's a willful rejection of Jesus. Reminds me of Romans one eighteen through twenty three. You can write that down, um, where, where Paul describes um, how people do this and how actually all of us, at some point, have done that, have willfully rejected God. Romans 1, 18 through 23. Um, but in the same story in verse 9, what does it mean? What does he mean by punished with everlasting destruction? Well, the second clause makes clear the first. And so those, um, it's those who are shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. So in other words, being out of God's presence and away from His glory um, is he's describing is to eternal destruction, and, and and God seems to say, or Paul seems to say that's that's going to happen to people. That's going to happen to individuals who reject the gospel. Verse ten, read verse ten. Haley. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed, this includes you. Because you believed our testimony to you. Okay. So this this verse should bring hope, and and this this is a turn in the in the text a little bit. Paul continues this idea of, of what will happen to those who obey the gospel, 
as opposed to those who disobey. He says, when Christ appears um, to be glorified in his people, okay, to be glorified in his holy people, which, by the way, means uh, his coming um, is about him being glorified. He's coming to be glorified. Um, and that our salvation is not primarily about us. It's about him. So, so those of us who've, who've chosen to trust him and obey him and follow him, um, it's about his glory. It's not about, it's not about our therapy or our um, growth and development. Um, those things are a natural result, result of us being made in the image of Christ and being who God's created us to be. Um, but not the primary point. Uh, I know sometimes in my journey, I have kind of focused so much on the therapeutic aspect of a relationship with Jesus, that he's here to make me better, make me a better person. And, and Paul seems to say, when he comes, those who trust him will be glorified, Jesus will be glorified in him. Um, and then he says, and to be, to be marveled at by those who believe. I love this idea. Um, this word marveled could be also admired or and or worshipped. Um, so it's this idea of um, standing in awe, um, admiring, um, worshipping, praising. Um, and so Paul says, like, you haven't seen anything yet. When Jesus returns, all you'll be able to do is marvel and, and admire and worship Him. And so in other words, Paul promises that God will not only deal with and, and, and punish the evil and those inflicting suffering, but also when Jesus returns, they won't be, you won't be thinking about your suffering and how much you suffered. All you'll be thinking about is how marvelous Jesus is when he returns. Verse 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, a really good exercise, This it'd probably take you 20 minutes, maybe, is to go through the New Testament and to read every time someone prays and what they pray for. And then, and then write those things down. Write down. You can just start with Paul's letters. Okay. Write down all the prayers of Paul and what what he prays for, and write those things down. And then, and then begin to notice the things that you pray for, and see if they line up. See if they're. See if if you ever pray the kinds of prayers that that Paul prays. Because notice what he prays for. Uh, and I just put three things here. That that one that God would continue to make you worthy of His calling, and and it's this idea of making you. There's this progressive aspect to who he's creating you, uh, changing you, progressively sanctifying you into the image of Christ. The second thing he prays for is that God, by his power, which is huge, would bring to fruition or completion or fulfill um, every good desire and every faithful deed. That's huge. Um, And so how is that? Well... It's because when you want what God wants, He wants you to have what you want. Like when you want what God wants, then He wants you to have what you want. It's 
um, the idea of um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. The verse that that talks about God will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, that's the second half of the verse. The first half is put your trust in the Lord, and God will give you the desires of your heart. So it's like when you when you sync up with Him, and you begin to want the things that He wants, then then God will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the things that you want when you want what He wants. But um, I love this idea of God being for you. I want to. I always want to clarify. You mean when we are for Him, He's for us? Because when we're for us, and sometimes being for me is against Him, I'm not sure God's for me. I'm not sure God's on my side when I want things that He doesn't want me to want. But I know that when I want the things that He wants, He wants me to have the things that I want. Third thing He prays for, that Jesus would be glorified in you and you in Him. Again, this comes back to this. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about His glory. And that when when He is lifted up, you who are in Christ, um, we will be lifted up. Um, and And that's what Paul's saying. And all of this, and this comes back, this word has been big for me lately, um, but all of this is by His grace, which is way more amazing than I ever thought or could imagine. And so, this is, this is, the, Paul, this is the, the, the encouragement, the hope um, that Paul gives to these people who are suffering, who are being afflicted, who are actually seeing signs of God's um, presence and activity in their life, experiencing um, a work in them that they couldn't do on their own, and he's saying, hold on, and, and, and be reminded of Jesus and his return. Um, I was having a conversation with Brandon this morning. Is he here today? No, he's not. He said he might not be. But we had a great conversation about, he's like, you know, I don't know about this idea of, I just don't think about Jesus coming back. Is that wrong? I felt bad. It was a, that was one of the small group, you know, table group questions. How often do you think about Jesus' return? And I, to be honest, I don't think about it. What's, is that wrong? And So we talked about this idea that sometimes we, we can get so focused on our world and not thinking about Jesus' return and think it's all about us and our story and the things that we have to do and lose sight of. Uh, and, then, uh, and then there might be some, I think most of us fall in that category, but there might be some that only think about the return of Christ and only think about the future and never, never care about what's really happening here and now. And I think the, I think the trick is to ha- always keep a, to keep a reminder of his return because it just kind of calibrates what's important now and what I'm what I'm about and it and in this case for them brings comfort and hope and an assurance that God is going that God is just and loving and he will deal with it and he will bring relief as well. Okay, last question. Why is it I mean several things were mentioned in this about God punishing, inflicting um, vengeance why is it we struggle with this? Why do we struggle with God punishing? Is it cultural? Is it a human, natural struggle? Maybe Paul, will, or Paul, whatever that guy's name is, Drew, he, Paul wannabe, uh, maybe he, uh, maybe he will answer those questions. So we'll take a break. We'll come back in a few minutes. Okay. 
Second um, Thessalonians 1. Uh, be touching on some more here a little bit. Here's what seems to be happening in this chapter. From, from what we're seeing from Paul through this letter, what, what appears to be taking place is that the Thessalonians are bumping up against a uh, very, very big doubt for the 21st century. That they are bumping up against something that has been extremely hard for us today to deal with. A struggle and a doubt that we wrestle with a lot, and it appears that they are as well. Back in 1 Thessalonians, as Scott told you, they were, they were undergoing persecution there. They seem to have been going under, undergoing persecution from kind of their birth. And Paul wrote to tell them that it's not because they're in the wrong, that things are all right, that it's actually because of their allegiance to God that they suffer. And then he even tells them in 1 Thessalonians 5, but we know this, that you are not destined for wrath, but for salvation. Um, that, that when Jesus comes, when the day of the Lord comes, you're going to experience salvation. Here we are a little bit later, and salvation has not come. And, and persecution seems to have gotten even worse. And, and it actually even appears that a number of them have been told and have begun to believe this truth that the day of the Lord has come. That the, the second coming has already taken place. And here they sit in just as much or worse trouble than they were before. And so they, they're wondering, have we been told a lie about this God, or at least is this God really fair? Is he right? Is he just? How could he let us suffer like this while we're trying to be loyal to him? This is, um, as I said, one of the biggest doubts, one of the biggest questions that skeptics have today. If God exists, why is there so much suffering in the world and particularly, why do innocent and good people suffer and wicked people often thrive? Why are wicked people allowed to oppress and harm, um, to kill and slaughter innocent people, and it seems often like they get away with it with no problem? Where is God in that? Now, this question is not just as old as the Thessalonian church. It's actually even far older than that. Um, it, this goes back all the way to the book that we were studying last semester in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's some of the words from Koheleth, the teacher, writing Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 4, verses 1 through 3. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought that the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. In other words, better yet the person who's never even been born to enter into a world like this. Ecclesiastes 7.14, he says this, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. This doesn't make sense to him. How is it that the good suffer and the evil thrive? It doesn't seem right. And it doesn't make sense to us either. It doesn't seem to fit or work out very well with us. It would seem, this is kind of the, the accusation that is leveled at God in this, that suffering in the world proves one of two things. That God does not exist 
Or if he does, he's not very good. But a good and powerful God would not allow this kind of stuff to take place in the world. So these um, questions, or this accusation is leveled, and maybe you've actually found yourself wondering, wondering in your own heart, in your own mind. You believe in God, you've grown up in church believing in God, but, but you turn on the news sometimes, and, uh, and things just don't seem quite right. Um, you, you look around at, at uh, things, you look back at history with the Nazis killing over six million Jews, attempting genocide to try to wipe them clean off the earth. And, and, and you hear stories of the way ISIS um, makes their way into villages in the Middle East and just rape and pillage their way through it. And, and you hear stories about children sold into sex slavery in different parts all the way around the world. And you go, I, this does not seem to fit with, with my view of who God is. This does not seem to fit with a good and powerful God. And, and maybe you've experienced some of those doubts in your own heart as well. Why would it go like this? How do we respond to that accusation, whether it is coming from other people, whether it is coming from skeptics who might be attacking our faith, or whether it is coming from our own hearts? As we wanted that, how do we respond to that idea that there is so much suffering and injustice in the world? Um, I'll say this. First of all, this is heavy. It's complicated, and this is more than just a philosophical struggle. This is real. Um, very real people have experienced very real pain at the hands of wicked men and women. Some of you in this room have experienced very real pain, and, and, and this is not just some philosophical experiment to try and solve or work through. Um, this, is, this, is, um, this is real life to you. And, and some of it has been at the hands of wicked people, and some of it has just been at the hands of what seems to be fate. My, uh, my wife was visiting a friend today whose, whose two-year-old is, is dying of an incurable disease and probably won't make it to three. And, and what, what does she do with that? What do we think about that? How, we, how do we deal with that question? They say that it either proves that God does not exist or he is not good. Let me say this to kind of start. Um, the first accusation um, does not actually work. Um, it's important for us to note this, that injustice itself cannot disprove God. Because if God does not exist then neither does injustice. Those two things cannot actually go together. When we say that the natural world is unjust, what we're saying, what we're implying, is that there is a standard outside of the natural world that it ought to adhere to. That there's some sort of more, when we look at the world, we go, man, that's not right. What we're saying is there is something that is right. Something that is outside of the natural, you could call it extra-natural, or you could call it supernatural. But the very moment we say something is wrong, we imply that there is something, someone bigger than this, who has a standard or code that we ought to live up to. And when we say God does not exist, then we lose that. This is the very, act, uh, the very problem that C.S. Lewis ran into. As a young man, C.S. Lewis was kind of driven to atheism, and this was one of the biggest issues that he struggled with. The cruelty of the world, as he looked at it, how cruel it was, and the, the, this, the crazy amount of suffering that went along in it. But C.S. Lewis soon realized, after he kind of moved into atheism, that that wasn't helping his problem very much. 
um, because he could, uh, because the moment that he said, man, I don't, I don't believe in God anymore, then there was, there was no wrong for him to be mad about. There was nothing for him to be upset. There was no higher standard. All he said, all, all I realized is I had to trade in and say, I could no longer say that things weren't just or right or they were wrong. All I could say is, this doesn't match up with my personal preference. And as soon as, I, as soon as my belief in injustice crumbled, so did my argument against God, is what C.S. Lewis said. And it was actually that very idea of suffering that was one of the things that started to drive him back to the faith, that he knew that there was something wrong, and that since there was wrong, there must be something bigger and right. Actually, in fact, naturalism, the philosophy that everything we see came about by natural causes, and there is no supernatural thing, there is no higher being or God or anything else. Naturalism actually thrives on the death and suffering of the weak and helpless. Needs it in order to continue. That's survival of the fittest. And so, for those who, who believe there is no God, they have no room to say that um, oppression and genocide is wrong. It's only natural. Um, suffering is actually a hint that there's something bigger than us and that there's something more that we're made for. So, it cannot prove that God does not exist. It can, however, call into question whether or not God is good. And Paul recognizes this. He recognizes that this, this question has to be going through his readers' minds there in Thessalonica. And so that's why he writes them, and, and here is, I believe, kind of what we read today, essentially what Paul would say to the Thessalonians and what he would say to us today is, when you're going to ask this question, make sure that you're looking in the right direction for your answers. In other words, look ahead, not back, and look up, not down. Let me read these verses to you again, and then I'll explain that. Verses 5 through 8. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Um, so he says this, um, look ahead, um, not just back to the suffering that you're experiencing. Don't look behind you at everything that you've gone through. Look ahead to what is coming. What Paul wants the, the readers to know is God is not blind to your suffering. He is not ignorant of it. He sees it. He knows it. And there will be a day when he will come and he will set all things right. Um, that he is going to reverse this, and, and Paul says, and the afflictors will be the afflicted, and the afflicted ones will experience relief. He says, one day God will come, and he is going to set things right. And I believe not only is he going to set things right when it comes to like man-made suffering, but even what we might call natural suffering of sickness and disease, that God is going to make all of that right again, that he's going to work through those things and make it right. So he says, look ahead, not back at what you've experienced and keep asking why, 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 but look ahead to the day where God will go and he's going to bring it all to the way it ought to be again. Know that that will be true, but I believe he would also say to us, look up and not just down at yourself. It is easy a lot of times for me to get caught up in my present circumstances as though that is the only reality there is. As though what I'm experiencing is like the ultimate reality and the ultimate judge of whether things are good or right or fair is this moment right now. 
or this week right now that I'm going through, or this month or this year, but the truth is, history is so much bigger than my month or my year or my two years of suffering. And eternity is far bigger than that. And, and, and the reality is that I cannot, I cannot judge based on this small snippet of time and what I'm going through, I cannot judge whether or not God's great plan is good based on this one year, nor even on this decade. I'm so grateful to, to Matt Chandler for this illustration. He, he says, imagine that you go into, um, yeah, Jesus more than him, though. Um, imagine, that you, imagine that you go into to, to a three-hour, this, this director has put together this um, gigantic epic of a movie, this three-hour movie, and you step in the theater for two seconds, and then you step back outside and go complain to the director that the plot doesn't make any sense. That's... That's me complaining about the 70 years of my life in the grand scheme of history. To go to God and say, you got it wrong. You, 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 missed, you, you messed up the plot. This doesn't, this doesn't fit. This doesn't make any sense. God would say, you, you, you only saw a brief snippet of the big picture. How, how would you know that? And I trust that God is the only one who stands outside of time, is able to see, even in the midst of suffering that I may not be able to figure out, is able to see and not just see, but is able to cause all of that to work towards the good. Sometimes we get to see that. Sometimes if we're patient enough, even in a really difficult time, like after a year or two or three years, we're able to look back and see the way that God used even our darkest moments for good and amazing things. And there's sometimes where we may go our entire life and on this side of eternity, we might not ever know why something horrible happened to us, why something horrible happens on the other side of the world. But I believe that, I know that God knows. And I think that there will probably be a day, I don't know if we'll get to see it all or, or he'll reveal it all to us, but I think there will be a day where he reveals a lot more to us. And we'll be able to look and go, you were right. You knew exactly what you were doing. You are good and right and fair, and, and I believe that that is true for us. Of course, our text here where God says one day God is going to reverse it all, and the afflicted or the afflictors are going to be afflicted, and God is going to bring vengeance, that, that brings up um, one of the uh, other, other greatest doubts of our time, and that is this idea of eternal punishment in hell. And, and the idea, I'll read, let me read on from there when he says um, from 7 that... Um, one day Jesus will come back. He'll be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Verse 8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Um, there are a lot of people, this is, this is for many people an even harder idea to stomach that a good and loving God would send people just because they do not believe in Him. Um, he would send them to suffer in hell after they die. Now here is kind of one of the interesting things is that many of the same people, i.e. us, at the very same time that we complain that there is not justice in the world, when we find out about the justice that God is bringing, we end up complaining about that as well. That, that we want on one hand for justice, for the, the world to be made right, and when God says, I'm going to come and bring it, we go, well, that's not fair either. 
And it's kind of strange that both of these two issues bother us because these two issues actually speak to one another to some degree. And it's important for us to kind of keep that in mind, that if we hate injustice, then the idea of God's vengeance ought not to be something we hate. Now, if pressed, I, I think if we really kind of thought through this, I think most of us would say we are okay with hell for specific groups of people, right? It's okay for, like, Hitler to go to hell. It's okay for terrorists um, for those fighting and doing these evil, wicked things in ISIS to go to hell. It's okay for child traffickers to, to go to hell because they're doing wicked and awful things. But what about like good people who just don't believe? What about like my, my uncle? What about my brother? What about my neighbor who, who's as good a guy as I am, nice a guy as I am, just, just because he doesn't believe? He's going to hell. What about good people who don't believe? Why would God send them to hell? There's two problems with this question. I think one is the assumption that I know who's good, that I get to determine the line. So I ask, I ask you, so, so you believe it's okay for like really, really awful people. It's okay for them to end up in hell. Yeah, I mean, I guess Hitler, it's okay for him to end up. Okay, what about really bad people? Not awful, but really bad. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's, I guess probably that. What about somewhat bad people? Uh, I don't know. And, and somehow, like, I, I, I have this, there's this thing in me that thinks that I should get to draw the line as to who is and who doesn't, who gets in and who doesn't, um, how bad you have to be. And I also think that I get to determine who actually is good and who's not. Um, the truth is, we, we've been talking about this, that the Bible teaches us that none of us are good. That, that all of us are actually enemies against God. We'll get to that in just a second. But the second problem with this question is that, according to Scripture, people don't just not believe. Like It's more than just that. I, I just don't see it. I don't get it. Um, Scott kind of mentioned in verse 8 when he says that God will bring vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel, or I'm sorry, who do not believe, and on those who do not obey the gospel. He's actually talking about the same people. To not believe is to not obey Jesus. In uh, chapter 2, verse 10, just a little bit further down, this is how Paul describes those who don't believe. He says that they are the people who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. That disbelief is a refusal to love the truth in front of you. Romans 5, we talked about our very first Sunday, tells us this, that no one is neutral. This is, this is something to keep in mind. If you are not living for God's kingdom, it means you are living for a rival one. Like if God has given me breath and life and everything I have, then he has owed my allegiance. That's, that's something that he deserves. And if I am not putting him on the throne, there is, there's no other, there's no empty throne in my heart. I'm putting myself there. I'm making claims for the kingship. I'm living to, to lift my agenda, to lift my kingdom to the top. And so I can't pretend that I'm just neutral. I can't pretend, well, as long as I stay out of God's way. No, this is God's way. This is, this is what he deserves right here. And so when I try to lay claims to it and say that it's my own, then, then I'm getting in the way of those things, the God who has given me everything that I have. And that's important for me to be able to keep in mind. It is interesting. It's, um, it's interesting how angry I get over the injustice that people experience. But is it not injustice for me to rob God of what is rightfully his? Why do I only get angry about the injustice that gets 
put against people and not that that gets thrown against God himself. Um, so I, I don't believe I don't believe that people are necessarily good and that we deserve something better. I don't believe that um, just not believing is is all that is. I believe that there's something bigger than that. But but I do also want to clarify this. Uh, I believe God has the right to to send people to hell. I believe He has the right to punish those who are wicked, to inflict vengeance on those who have been doing wicked things throughout their life. I believe those things. I also do believe that we need to be careful about our picture of judgment and to be careful about our picture of God. If you think of God as easily offended and ill-tempered, as someone who loves to get even, then you're not thinking about the God in the Bible. If that's what you have in mind, you go, I could never believe in that. That's, that's not the God of the Bible. Um, Ezekiel 18.23, this is the words of God. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? God says, you think, you think I want wicked people to die? You think I, I want people to experience condemnation? You think that's what I'm longing for? You think that's what I made them for? He says, wouldn't I rather them like repent of those things and live? That's what I want for them. That's what I long for them. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter says, you want to know why God is taking so long to come back? It's not because He's slow. It's because He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And His wish is that they would repent and come and find Him. This is kind of the, the back half of, uh, everybody knows the famous verse, John 3.16. But, but 17 is really interesting. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That's why he came, not to condemn. So here it is. If you don't like the idea of an ill-tempered, needy God who is prone to fits of rage, if you say to yourself, I could never believe in that kind of God, good news. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that we're talking about. A God who delights in casting people into hell. That's not who he is. This is instead a God who dies for his enemies so that they can be his children. This is a God who longs for them to repent and know the truth so that they can come to Him. Romans 5, 8, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a God who loves the very people who build rival kingdoms against Him and is patient with them, longing for them to return and pursues them. Yes, those who say, I want nothing to do with Him, will get their wish when that day comes. They'll, they'll, they'll have nothing to do with them, just like, they, just like they said they wanted throughout their whole life. Um, and so, yes, I do believe that people will be separated from God, will spend, um, will, will end up facing judgment in hell, but, but I believe that God's desire is something for something greater, and He shows that by sending His Son to die on the cross for our sins, to die for us while we were still sinners. Actually, the cross speaks to both of those questions that we brought up tonight. 
The first one, why would God allow people to go to hell? The answer is because he is a God of justice and righteousness. And he is so intent on making things right that he would send his son to pay for sin so that one day it will finally happen. Here's the way Tim Keller says it. Christ died on a cross so that God could end sin without ending us. So that he could get rid of the sin, that he could kill off the sin without killing the very people that it's attached to by removing it from them. And why does a good God allow suffering? I don't, I've got answers, right? I've got I've got ideas, I've got theories as to why suffering comes into our life, but I don't know for sure. I can't. I don't know if I'll ever have all the answers. Um, I don't know exactly why God allows suffering, but I do know this, and this is what Peter Kreft says, that Christianity is a unique religion, and where every other religion wants to try to get God off the hook for suffering, Christianity is the only religion in which God came and placed himself on the hook. Christianity is the only one that says that God actually stepped down in the middle of our suffering and experienced it alongside of us. Experienced shame, experienced pain, experienced um, humility and separation and all of those things. That's, we're the only one that gets to talk like that um, because, because we're the only one I think that's real. Um, that God doesn't just look at our suffering and kind of turn um, an apathetic eye towards it that he actually steps down right in the middle of it and joins with us in that. And because he did that, we believe this from Romans 8, 28. We believe that he has the ability to take even the worst things in our life, even the things that we wish would have never happened, the very darkest places of our life, he has the ability to take even those and use them for our good and and turn them into something. um, I'm not saying he causes all those things, but I believe he can take all of those things and use them for our good. And and that is the amazing truth that we find in Scripture. And that is why, listen, I I believe this in a large large part. A number of the questions that we have about God, we can't ever get to the bottom of those answers if we take the cross out. But when the cross is in the middle, when when we put that there in the middle and we see what God was moving towards and what stands at the center of his plan, then it may not always work perfectly in my head and it might not always feel great to think about these things, but I believe that I can trust him when I look at the cross and I see what he's working towards to make everything right again and, and to suffer alongside of us so that we can experience what we were made for, to know him forever. Let me pray, pray for us and then we'll be done. Dear Father, you know the way that I... I speak these things and I believe these things and at the same time um, there are definitely moments in my heart where I go to, I believe these things um, where I um, where I wonder and, and it, it doesn't always seem fair but I, 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 I'm not proud of those moments um, because I really do believe that you're good and you're trustworthy and that my own ideas of what is right and how things should go um, uh, that they're ignorant and that they're man-centered. And so, Lord, I, I pray for this, um, that you would give us faith to see how good you are, that you would help us to see that in Jesus, that you would help us to see that in the cross. Lord, give us a greater confidence in our faith, but more than that, a confidence in you, 
that you are a good God who is in control and loves us. Um, and help us to rejoice in that, even in the middle of pain. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, let me just say, again, philosophical questions and answers about this stuff are good for us to think through. But I, I really do, I recognize that, that there, there are some of you in here who've gone through some really hard things. And I really do hope, I really would hope that you would lean on the church and that, that man, we would love to talk to you about that. If, if you're struggling with something that is happening to you currently or something that has happened to you in the past, um, we would love to, to, to care for you in that and to listen to you in that. And so I hope that you'll find uh, one of the leaders here or a, a fellow student in here that you can open up to and share a little bit about that. Um, in just a little bit, they're going to start popping some popcorn, so we'll have some kettle corn out here in a second. What? We've got some done already. All right, sweet. Got some. Simplicity challenge of no processed food. You can eat this because it's like popcorn kernels and coconut oil. There we go. Sweet. Um, hey, international people who kind of want to minister to international students, whatever, come talk to me here for a second. Thirty seconds. Not the training, okay. but I talked to him. We had a meeting with him last night. Huh? Really good. How are you? I haven't seen you. Yeah. Okay.
That's all I need. Yes. Yes. I forgot that you were doing it. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. 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 I'm in short transition. Yeah. 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 Ready for the night in the boxing? Okay. Yes, I am. So who's all going? I know it's you and me. Good idea. I don't, like, all the other numbers I have, I don't have names to them, so. Yeah, okay. Uh, I like, well, there's Rachel. There's Rachel. And there, Hunter. Hunter. Okay. Hunter is going to go. Yeah. But he's part of the okay. people okay. setting it up. Okay, awesome. Are we eating breakfast in the morning? Yeah, where is it? Uh, I don't know. Breakfast. Uh, so I think, I think rainy sounds good next night. Hey, trying to get you met that. You should meet that. Okay. Just to be cool. familiar with like how they interact with I got Hunter, yes. I'm always what is your last name, Hunter? Yeah, I got your Hudson. Hudson, I knew that, dude. Yeah. Sorry, my brother's man. name is Hunter, so like, I'm so used to people doing that. Sorry, dude. My son's name. I don't know how I got Hunter. Okay. You're fine. Um, so, okay. One thing that I thought was interesting that you were talking about is like, um, I just find it so interesting because I actually got in an argument with someone about it last night. Seriously, one of my friends that like I'm actually really close to, um, but she's she's non-religious, and like but I, I like talk to her about it like, a lot. Yeah, and um, but she she's like, struggling with some friends back home who are like they're dealing with some really bad stuff. Um, and she she's like legitimately worried yeah. that they like might even like end up like going off the deep end to the point where they they die, like wow. like that bad. And she's like, and I was like, why don't you pray about it? And she's like, she said, um, she goes, um, she is she's a lot of fun. Well, I've only known her for well. She's like, oh yeah, like that's worked in the past. Yeah, and that like really made me mad because like. I don't know, like, it, for the exact same reasons that you were kind of talking about, you said something like, um, you can't, like, you can't, like, burn things on them, you know? And that's basically what I said, I was like, that's, like, the totally wrong way to look at it. And I didn't really exactly have the words for it, and she was going to come tonight, and I had, like, and, but she has, like, she has a flight tomorrow, and I was like, I don't want you to be, like, stressing out, and then I'm not enjoy it, so I'd rather come next week, because I was like, dang, so, so I'm like wondering if yeah. you guys are gonna like talk about that at all like next week. I don't know. Like uh, uh, next week, probably not. Yeah. yeah, we do. So we do record these if that helps at all. But um, but I don't know if we'll get into it next week. It kind of depends on which way the text. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's like a big issue because like. You guys also segmented into stuff that might make her uncomfortable because she is like non-religious, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. You definitely have to be like slow about it. Yeah, but, like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's a reason yeah. that she didn't yeah. come. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted, I just wanted to like 
I don't know what to like do about so you, that. Are you like fluent yeah. in Japanese? Dude, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're there having those conversations. Are you really good at it? I mean, like a few hours. I don't know. I just I like heard you talking about it. And I was like, okay, like Drew knows exactly yeah, what I'm talking about. Exactly what I'm talking about right now. Yeah. So, yeah, like, it's weird we because it's like obviously you know, the other day. And I guess I'm assuming by the way you're talking, like your friends are making bad choices, like yeah, it's yeah, their choices, really bad yeah. choices. And it's like, I, you know, depends on what we're praying for, right? I can't, I don't think I can necessarily pray that they don't make those choices because I believe in free will. Yeah, we've got us you know what I mean? But I can believe, I can pray for God to like reveal the truth to them. I can pray for God to, honestly, I can pray for God to um, let them get in trouble before they get themselves, you know what I mean, pray that's yeah. sometimes a good yeah. thing for them to get arrested before they get killed. That's you know a good point. Um, I can pray for, you know, but, uh, yeah, I can pray for hope for them that somebody brings truth, you know, but I believe we can pray those things. I just, yeah. um, you know, sometimes I tell, sometimes I think it's worth being able to say to somebody, I know, hey, I know you don't believe in this stuff, but I just want you to know, yeah, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for your church, you know and it may not be, I hope that's okay, you may not like it, but I want you to know that I care about you, and I'm praying for you in your class. You know? Yeah, I guess it's a good way to, a good way to approach it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, it just really frustrated me, that like, it's like someone says that they like don't believe, but then like when you ask, when you ask them to pray or not ask them, but you suggest that they pray, yeah. they like take this stance that like God does exist just so they can bash it. Yeah, so they can be angry. At yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I'm like that's so stupid. Like, like at least at first, like pick pick which belief you have. Like yeah. in, in that in that regard, like does he exist or not? Like, yeah. Yeah, no, so I totally get it. I, a lot of people who don't don't believe in God are also really, really angry at him at the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. Well, we'll see how it goes. Well, I'm glad, dude. I, one of the most important things is just, you just got a friend in her life like you. You know what I mean? I think that's cool. No, so. I, I think, I mean, she sees that. She's like, she's thanked me for it, you know? Cool. So, cool. I don't know. That's cool, man. I'm glad to hear that. Dude, let me know if there's any specific way I can be praying for or update me on conversations, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think you just, like, even talking about, like, the whole, like, I'm praying for you kind of thing. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a good way to approach it. Because, like, that's the way that my grandparents always approached it with, like, even me when I was on religious and, like, yeah. my, my, um, my brother when he's been dealing with a lot of stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's cool, man. My friends are, like, waiting. All right.
Still going. 